Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. So what we're doing today is we're going to continue week two, and we're going to look at the story of Ahab and Jezebel. Now, let's get some audience participation real quick. Ladies, where are you at? All right, we've got a few ladies here. All right, ladies, how many of you occasionally or often uh, battle with the need to have things the way that you want them? You can be a little bit controlling. Raise your hand. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, she's got two hands raised up back there. That's fantastic. Okay, guys, guys, let me ask you, uh, if you're here, guys, how many of you would say that you are aggressive in your uh, career and at your hobbies, but when it comes to maybe things that are closer to home or some other important things that you are a little more passive? Would you just shoot your hand up? Yeah, just passively, a little bit like that? All right. Some of you are so passive, you're not going to play. Ladies, if you're controlling and you're sitting next to a passive guy, go ahead and reach over and raise his hand for him. That would be fine. (laughs) It happened. It happened right here. That's awesome. I love it. Well, today what we're going to be doing is talking about this subject uh, as we look at perhaps the worst marriage in all of the Bible. It is between Ahab and Jezebel. And so today, if you think your marriage is bad, by the end of this, you will be encouraged because theirs is an absolute train wreck, okay? And so let me give you some history on Ahab, who he was. Ahab was the seventh king of the northern kingdom in Israel, and he reigned from 875 B.C. to 855 B.C., so 20 years he was the king. Now, he was a strong political and military king, and he had the opportunity to lead because his leadership skills were strong. He had the opportunity to lead God's people back to him because during this time, the Israelites had kind of fallen away from worshiping God the one true God, and they had started to worship calves, like cows, baby cows, right? And this is, this is where they had slipped. They had gotten so far away from God that this is what they were doing, and Ahab could have led them back, except he had one problem. He married a woman named Jezebel. Now, Jezebel, her name means where is Baal? You got it. She was a Baal worshiper. Baal was a popular false god of the day, and so they had, they, she brought in this worship of Baal and influenced her husband, who ultimately influenced the kingdom, and the Israelites stopped worshiping God and began worshiping calves, and Baal became their, became their, their focus of worship. And, and it is said about Ahab that he did more evil than any other king as a result, but he didn't do it alone. He had someone to help him. And so here's what it says, and we're going to be in 1 Kings 21. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Verses will also be up on the screen, so we'll make it really easy for you today. But it says about Ahab, it says, No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence. Now, let me just pause for a second. You understand that word influence. Leadership, all leadership is, is influence. That's what leadership boils down to. When you understand it, it's just influence. So we can almost say here that Ahab did all this under the leadership of his wife, Jezebel, in his home, okay? So Ahab and Jezebel, the the two main characters of our story today, represent the two most common problems throughout human history. 
The first problem, Ahab represents the passive husband. This is a passive husband, all right? And Jezebel represents the controlling wife. So let's do this. Let's look at their lives and see how this plays out. First, let's take a look at the passive husband. Now, here's the backstory on the verses we're getting ready to read. Ahab, of course, is king, and he lives next door to uh, this really sweet vineyard that is owned by Naboth, all right? This, this guy lives there, and, and Ahab wants it, okay? And so uh, let, let's take a look. He says in verse 2, it says, Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it is close to my palace. Now, push pause on this for just a second. Let me just say something that I'm not really happy about, but it's a truth in this life. It is that every guy, it doesn't matter how, how manly you are, every guy has a chick thing that they enjoy, right? Some of you guys like to watch chick flicks and get all emotional and cry. Others of you, you like to get your nails did or you like to have pedicures done, Others of you have more hair product in your hair than your wives do, and I, I get that. I understand it. My chick thing, I'm sad to say is, and, and just embarrassed to admit, is that I like bubble baths. I actually enjoy a good bubble bath. Like, we have one of those, those, those tubs that you can sit in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can sit down in it, you know, and kick back and relax. And so I, from time to time, will go up there, and, and I'll just kind of slip away from the action at the house, and I'll set up my iPad and turn on Netflix, you know, and and I'll, I'll run a bubble bath. Now, I don't always get the smells to complement each other the right way, but it, it's all bubbly and frothy, and I'm having a good time. Things are bubbling, you know? I like it. I like it when things bubble and effervesce. It's all the ladies just going amen to that right there. The guys are like, you're a freak. Anyway, so Naboth's chick thing is that he wanted to have a vegetable garden. He wanted to grow some tomatoes and cucumbers and have himself a little salad, all right? So that's, that's his chick thing, all right? And so uh, the verse continues. It says, he goes to, to, to Naboth. And he says, let me have your vineyard for the use as a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. He says, in exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it's worth. But, Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry, because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. Now what is happening here? What's going on? Ahab is having a royal meltdown is what's happening here. This guy is a wimp, or I would call him a wuss, okay? Because here's what's happened. He's gone to Naboth and he said, I would like to have this vineyard. Let me, have, let, me, let, me, let me trade you the vineyard and what that would have meant for Naboth at the time. First of all, he's been there since he was a kid. It's his family inheritance. And you know it's not just Naboth and his wife and his children. You know that in order to care for a vineyard, he would have had people that lived on the plantation with him, a whole community of people that he would have needed to uproot and move to a better vineyard. This was not a simple task. And so Ahab is asking him to do that. He's like, I'll buy it for whatever it's worth, or I'll give you a better vineyard. And so you can just move your whole family over so that I can have this one. And Naboth's not having it. And you understand why, right? Because you never accept the first price that is offered to you on anything that you're trying to sell. And Naboth also knows that he's dealing with the king and that the king could pay 10 times the amount that it's worth. So Naboth just, just backs off and says, no, I'm not gonna sell it to you. He's smart. He's waiting on a counter from the king. But what does a king do? The king 
doesn't feel like he can win. He's been rejected, and because he doesn't feel like he can win, what does he do? He takes his ball and he goes home. And he cries. He's sullen and sulking on his bed. Look, here's, the, here's what we're seeing at work. If a man feels like he can't win, he'll take his ball and go home. He doesn't want to play. If there's not a chance, if there's not a way that he sees he can win the game, whether he wins or loses or not, that's, that's immaterial. But if he doesn't think he can win the game, he will bow out of the game. And in marriage, if a man feels like he'll never measure up to what his wife wants, or that he's never going to be good enough, or he's never going to be like, his fa- like her father, or that he can't please her, then what the, what the husband is going to do is take his ball and go home and sulk. He's going to disengage from the marriage. He's going to stop trying is what he's going to do. And this is the passive man. So now let's take a look real quick at the controlling wife. Verse 5 says, his wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? I'm not really sure why the voice comes out that way, but in my mind, you all know I like to like imagine my Bible and make it come to life. So it's not just words on a page. And I imagine a woman like Jezebel had like a voice that would just grate on your nerves. You know what I'm saying? Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And he answered her. And, and I think the way he answers is more this way. Remember, he's sulking and crying on his bed. You, you ever talk to somebody after they've like, and this is, this is actually not funny, but talk to somebody after they've just gone through a serious loss or maybe they're having like a full-on meltdown. And when they talk to you, they're like, and you don't know how to help them, but you just like, oh man, like they're really going through something. That, that's how I imagine he's, he, he's talking to her. So when I read this, kind of hear through that filter. He said, because I said to Naboth, the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel, you whining bum? I, I just put that part in. She didn't actually say that. Get up and eat, cheer up, I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. In other words, what she says is, get out of the way, move, you can't do it, I'll do it for you. Now, ladies, can I just tell you this? That men don't like to admit this, but we're all very insecure at one point in time or another. And it is likely that the more outwardly we project strength, the more likely it is that we feel insecure and weak inside about that thing. That's the truth. We don't like to admit it, but that is absolutely the truth about us. In fact, we know that this is true, that, that men have a tendency to be weak and not want to show it. Because look back, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when God created the whole world, he creates everything and says, it's good, it's good, the animals are good, the sea is good, the plants are good, everything's good, man, not so much. The one thing he says is not good, he said it's not good for man to be alone. So what does he do? He gives him a partner. He gives him a helpmate. He gives him woman. That's what he does. He said, because if I leave this dude alone all by himself, he's going to lose his keys. He's not going to bathe regularly. Goodness knows his teeth are going to rot out of his head because he's going to forget to brush them, right? And the kids don't even get me started. So God gives him a help partner in the beginning. Now, I understand that this is not a popular conception of what a woman's role is in the marriage. I understand 
that, that women are strong. And I'm not saying that women are not. Understand that in this context, ladies, that you have an important role in your husband's life. You have an important role, and it's necessary here, because your role is to help him become the man that God wants him to be. He gave you to him as a gift to help him become a stronger man. And so, because of that, the way you treat your husband matters. It, it matters the way you treat him, because a godly woman will help make her husband stronger. She'll make a weak man stronger, but a controlling woman will make a weak man weaker. That's the truth. And so you have, what, you, what you have to do is really, really important. Your influence in his life is really, really important. And this is what Jezebel's doing in Ahab's life. She's making a weak man weaker by being a controlling wife. So as we look at this, you say, well, how is she doing that? There's two ways that a controlling woman makes a weak man weaker. And the first thing that a controlling woman does is that she belittles her husband with her words. She belittles her husband with her words. Look at what she said to him. Is this how you act as king over Israel? What is she doing? She's talking down to him. She's letting him know that he is not behaving in the way that he should, that he's doing it all wrong. She's using her words to tear him down, to call him a wimp, to call him a good for nothing. She's not building him up. Ladies, what you say about your husbands, what you say to your husbands and to other people is either building him up or tearing him down. You need to understand that ultimately you, or that your husband, is becoming what you speak about him. Your role is that powerful. In fact, your words are that powerful. And we read in Proverbs that life and death is in the power of your words. You have the power to build him up or tear him down. And sadly, the controlling wife will use her words not to build up. She'll use her words to tear him down over and over and over again. I want to tell you that I'm, I am so blessed. I am so fortunate to have my wife in my life because she doesn't use her words to tear me down most of the time. I can be real stupid sometimes and I'm okay with her letting me know that. But, but most of the time, Shanda is really encouraging. She's really encouraging. I've been able to, I'm telling you, that over the years of ministry, first of all, I would not have been able to plant this church without Shanda standing by my side saying, yes, I believe in you that you can do this. Telling other people that she believed in me that I could do this, that God has called me to do this, that even if I didn't know what I was doing right then, that God would, she trusted that God would teach me and that I would make it happen through his power and his work in my life. That's who my wife is. She's encouraging. She stood behind me and has said, yes, you can do it. Encourage me. When I felt like quitting, because there's been days I've felt like quitting. There's been days that ministry are too rough. There's been days that, that, that I've dealt with enough mess and enough drama and enough difficulties. There's been enough days that I didn't know what I was doing that I said, I just need to tap out. And she said, you can't do that. God's called you to this. He's equipped you for this. You need to keep going. She's been encouraging to me. And built me up rather than tearing me down. And it's those words, those words of encouragement that have kept me strong. But I tell you, it's not the same for everybody. It's not the same for everybody. Your, your marriage, guys in your marriage, you may be experiencing that right now. You may understand this role. And, and, and look, let me tell you something. I talk to a lot of couples. I, I counsel a lot of couples. And do you know what one of the, the number one complaints is from the lady? 
from, from, the, from the, the, the woman. She says, you know what I want most in my marriage? I want him to lead me spiritually. I want him to lead this household spiritually. That's what I want. Christian families from Christian homes, this is what they say. I want him to lead me spiritually. And so that, that's their desire. And yet, when you kind of dig a little deeper, you find out the story is not necessarily so. You find out that he's tried to lead spiritually. And what's happened is he's been browbeat so many times as he's tried to lead spiritually. There's been so much resistance at home or, or maybe, maybe because the prayer that he prayed wasn't as fancy as she liked it to be. And she said, you call that a prayer? And what does he do? If he feels like he can't win, if he feels like he's not, his prayers aren't good enough, if he feels like the way that he talked to God is not going to be answered, what is he going to do? He's going to take his ball and he's going to go home. Maybe he's tried to lead the home, and ladies, all you've done is talk down to him because maybe in the past, when he did it, you all of a sudden become history majors and start saying, well, you've done this before. You've said this before. You were really good at it for a couple weeks, and then you didn't do it. What makes this time so different? And we find out that the thing that you want him to do the most is the thing he's not going to do at all for you because you keep tearing him down when he tries. Look, the best thing you can do, ladies... Instead of belittling him with, his, with your words, when he tries to lead spiritually, when he decides to step into that role, is to encourage him, thank him, and lay a 30-minute kiss on him, if you know what I'm saying. And I think all you married ladies do. You know exactly what I'm saying. Why would you do that? Because what is celebrated gets repeated. You're taking notes. Write it down. Live by it. Understand it. It works with your kids. It works at home, it works on the job, it works in every circle, social circle you will find yourself in. What is celebrated gets repeated. If you pat him, your husband on the head, proverbially, okay, don't actually do this, and say, who's a good boy, he's going to feel awesome about himself. His tail's going to start thumping, and he's going to know he's done well. And then he's going to try to do it again, he's going to try to do better. Because what's celebrated gets repeated. You want him to lead? You want him to grow in his spiritual leadership of your home? Encourage him. Let him know that you appreciate him stepping into that role. A godly woman will make a weak man stronger, but a controlling woman will make a weak man weaker. Look, ladies, no man ever comes away from a belittling conversation and complaints a stronger man. It just doesn't happen. If that's your MO, just knock it off. That, that, he's, that you're not going to build him up that way. It's just not going to happen. Your role, ladies, is so important because your words matter. You can choose to build him up or you can choose to tear him down. The second way a controlling uh, woman makes a weak man weaker is she takes over. She takes over. Look what Jezebel did. She said, I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, and that's what she goes on to do. She just pushes him out of the way. Instead of encouraging him, to go back and make another offer. Instead of encouraging him in his leadership, all she does is allow him to remain passive, to sit there and do nothing while she pushes him aside and takes control of the situation. Now, for a second, I just want you to kind of imagine the front seat of a car. There's two seats in the front of the car, right? There's a driver's seat and there's a passenger seat. In the driver's seat, you are in control of everything. In fact, you are ultimately responsible for getting everybody in the vehicle, including yourself, safely from point A to point B, all doing it while abiding by all the laws, and, and, and there's so much to think about. You're in charge of so much. But what does the person in the passenger seat have to do? 
That's right. Click it or ticket. All right, so they got one responsibility. But while the car is going, after they've clicked it or ticked it, or they've clicked it, they put their seatbelt on. <laughs> Sometimes I've got to think about my words before I let them out. What do they have to do? Enjoy the ride. Nothing. They have to sit there. They can drink a drink. They can eat food. They can play a game on their phone. They can sleep. They can watch a show. Nothing. The passenger seat is a passive role. You don't have to do anything. And ladies, let me tell you, if you keep stepping into the driver's seat, pushing him out, not encouraging him to lead to step into that driver's seat, guess what you're doing time after time after time? You are teaching him that all he has to do is cruise, that all he has to do is be disengaged. He doesn't have to engage with the kids. He doesn't have to help around the house. He doesn't need to be engaged in the relationship. He doesn't need to lead spiritually. You got this. He'll learn. Now, I want to acknowledge this, that there are some guys that are total bums, that won't work, that won't carry their weight. They are disengaged because they are lazy. And so, ladies, you've had to step in and take control because he absolutely won. That's not what we're talking about here, though. We're talking about a guy who's capable and willing but needs your encouragement to step into that role because a controlling woman will step in every single time. She'll step right in there and take over. And not just in big things. She'll do it in little things as well, over and over again, ultimately training him that he just can't do things right, that he's not doing it well enough, and so she's going to step into the role. Like imagine a dad, he's going to help out around the house, and so he decides to get the kids dressed. And all you do is criticize him that the kids' socks don't match their outfit, so he doesn't feel like he can do it right, so he won't do it again. Or maybe he goes to do the vacuuming, and he doesn't get the lines done just right, because Shanda, Shanda, my wife, she really likes the lines. You know, the other day she was vacuuming. She said, you can't go into our bedroom. I said, why not? As I'm heading up there, because she can't tell me where I can go in my own house. I did stop before I got into the bedroom, though. And she said, because I just vacuumed in there, and the lines are so pretty. I'm like, you can't do it right. And she tells you, you didn't do it right. And so she just takes over and won't let you do it again. Or maybe you're not folding the clothes right. Or, you know, she tells you that if you didn't fold that towel right, her world's going to come to an end. Or she makes you feel that way. And so she takes over. She takes control. And ultimately, you, you relinquish. You take your ball and you go home. And you sulk. You disengage. And you don't help. And she doesn't want you to because you didn't do it right. I got this. So what do you do? Now, first of all, let me, let me acknowledge this, that there, are, that there are type A ladies here today. And you are a strong leader in your home. I don't have a problem with that. I love that. In fact, I want a type A woman on my team because you are a powerful gift to whatever team you are on, at home, on the job. I love that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the spouse, the woman who takes control and, does, and tears her husband down over and over again. And so what do you do? Here, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Your husband, you need to love him, faults and all, just the way that he is. And you need to love him that way without taking control. The second thing I'm going to encourage you to do is to pray for him and then get out of the way. Don't try to make him the way that you want him to be. He will ultimately resist that. Pray for him and let God do a work in his life. 
Encourage him. Don't tear him down with your words. You need to, you need to build him up. Now, before you ladies think that this is a he-man woman hater club and that I'm only just going to pick on you, let me shift gears a little bit and start picking on the guys. Guys, you have a tremendous responsibility in your home. And you have a responsibility to lead. See, this is why Jezebel was able to take control in her home because Ahab was passive. And maybe you understand this. Maybe this is the situation in your home right now. Guys, that you are passive. You are disengaged in your leadership, your God-given role as a husband. And you are passive to the point that she has to step in and lead. You know, maybe, maybe in Ahab's house he wasn't leading at all. Maybe he wasn't trying. And guys, maybe that's where you're at too. But you have the opportunity and the responsibility to lead. In fact, Scripture tells us that God structured the home and ordained the family unit to be this way, that Christ is the head, the man is under Christ, and the woman is under the man. Now, don't get me wrong, because a lot of ladies hear this and they go, no, that's not the way. I'm not beneath him. That's not what we're, I'm not saying that he has authority over you, that he has power over you, because don't get me wrong, men have used this for years to put women under their thumbs to get them to do what they want them to do. Submit. That's what the Bible says. And that, that's not what we're talking about. This is not a thing of power. This is a thing of position. This is this is how God has ordained it for you to lead. And if you understand that lead means influence, that means that more by serving your wife will you lead. By laying down your life for her, by laying down your rights, by laying down your privileges and preferring her, you will lead and influence her properly. That is what God has called you to do. In fact, if you want to understand the way that you are to love a woman, you can read 1 Corinthians 13 and understand that there is a description there. Some of, you, some of you, your attitude is, I do love my wife. I love my wife to get me a sandwich. And look, that's all wrong. It's okay that she serves you and brings you a sandwich, and it's okay for you to serve her and bring her a sandwich. That's okay, but if your attitude is constantly that she is there to serve you, that is wrong. She is not your slave. She is not your employee. But God has structured it. He has ordained and planned the family to be this way. Guys, if you don't know it, you are hardwired by God to lead. I don't need to teach you how to lead. It's in you. It is in you. He created you to lead in your home. Just like you don't need to teach a tiger how to hunt, you don't need to teach a fish how to swim, or an eagle how to fly. They all just know how to do it. So guys, it's in you. Step into this role and lead. And if you say, well, how am I supposed to lead? Well, there are, it's simple, and I'll keep it simple for us because we need it that way, right, guys? There are three major categories where we are to lead, that God has called us and hardwired us to lead. Here they are. The first way he's called you to lead is as a provider. He's called you to lead as a provider. Now, this does not mean, gentlemen, that you have to go to work and she has to stay home and be barefoot all the time. You know what I'm saying? That's not what this means. It doesn't mean that you have to control the money. If she's better at running the checkbook, be wise and let her, okay? That's not, I'm not saying that, that you, are, you are the main source of income and have to be. That's, that's not what I'm saying. She can work just as well, but, but you need to be a provider. You need to set, this is what it means, you need to set the financial tone 
and direction of your family. You need to set the financial tone and direction of your family. What you need to do is say, hey, listen, as a family, we're not going to be like everybody else that is in debt up to their eyeballs, that is living paycheck to paycheck. No, we need to tighten the reins. We need to make a plan to get out of debt, and you can lead that way. You can lead and say, you know what? Everybody else is going out, but we can't. We're going to learn how to cook, and we're going to stay home. We're going to do it inexpensively. We're going to cut out some of these things in our lives so that we can have a better life and a better future. We'll plan for our retirement. We'll save. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to be wealthy to provide financial security to your wives, gentlemen, but you can provide stability. You can offer her financial security by making sure you say no to the things you don't need so you can say yes to the things you do need. You can lead this way. You can offer financial stability this way. Do you know what what ladies want most in your relationship, guys? Security. That's what they want. In the core of their hearts, that's what they desire, is to feel secure. And if you lead in this way, you can provide that for her. You can say, hey, listen, we want to be underneath the blessing of God. We're going to be a family that tithes. We're going to give in that way. You can lead your family that way. Second way you need to lead is as the protector as the protector of your home. Now, this is not just about fending off thieves and people that would harm your wife and your children and, and, and you know, doing it with your ninja swords because you guys all know that you have them. This, that's not what that means, although it certainly includes that. It means ultimately protecting your spouse's heart, being concerned about her emotions, guarding those. How is she going to feel about what it is you're doing? Protecting wrong influences from your family. Showing your spouse that you love her with all that is in, within you means guarding your heart, the way that you feel about her and the, and the influences that another woman may have in your life. It means guarding your mind and your thoughts, the way that you think about her, the way you think about other women. It means guarding your eyes so that you don't look at certain things, that you have eyes just for your spouse. It means guarding your choices so that she is preferred in all of your choices she is considered. This is the way that you can protect her. You can protect your children and say, look, just because everybody else is doing that, kids, doesn't mean we're going to do that. Just because all your friends are watching that show doesn't mean you're going to watch that. That's filth. It's dangerous and and detrimental to your heart and to your mind. Just because other kids' families will let them play this game doesn't mean you're going to. You can draw boundaries and protect your family. You can be a man of prayer and faith who stands in the gap for your kids, believing that they are the next generation and, that, and protect them from the evil, wicked influences of this world. That's your job, is to protect them. The third way that you, you are called to lead is as the pastor of your home. Now, some of you guys are going to check out at this point because you don't feel like you can do it. You already feel defeated. Maybe because you tried this in the past and it didn't work out so awesome. But, but let me tell you, you can do this. Being the pastor of your home does not require that you read the Bible two hours a day and that you become a theologian. And ladies don't expect him to. That, that's not what, this, what I'm saying to you. What I'm saying for you is that you set the spiritual direction and tone for your family. How do you do that? Well, there's simple ways you can do that. You can say to your family, hey, we're going to be a family that's, that's active in church. That means when the doors are open on Sunday, we're going to go to church. We're going to, if we're in town, we're going to go to church. And if we're out of town, we're going to tune in and watch it on Periscope because we don't want to miss what God is talking about. 
We don't want to miss what he's saying to us as a church, as a community this Sunday, even though we're out of town. We're going to engage. We're going to, we're going to be part of it. It means that if you have kids, that you're going to get your kids into the youth group. You say, Aaron, we don't have youth here anymore. No, you're right. But we did partner with another church here in Pickerington. We send our kids there. It's called the Branch Youth Ministry. And they have a great time. You say, I'm going to make sure that my kids are in a youth ministry. <coughs> you say, look, as a family, we're going to go through growth track. You're going to set the spiritual tone of your house. We're going to go through growth track. We're going to learn our spiritual journey and what God has for us. We're going to do this as a family. Your kids can do it. They can go through it. They can learn the spiritual journey that God has for them. Or maybe a simple way you can do it is grab hands and pray over dinner. And I don't mean just God bless the food. Like thank him for his role and his activity in your life. Thank him for the way he's blessed you. Maybe pray for one another if there are any needs. Take that moment to turn things into a spiritual direction. Because, gentlemen, you set the spiritual direction and tone for your family. That's your job. That's your God-given role. You can do it. He's, God has hardwired you to, do, to be the provider, the protector, and the pastor of your home. Do it. Now, some of you, I know that today, this is probably hitting hard for you. If it, I'm telling you, if, it, if it's hitting you as hard as it hit people in first service, I understand this is difficult because I'm challenging the very way that your house is run. Some of you today, you need to go home and, have, and confess to your spouse and ask her to forgive you and say, I'm sorry that I've been so passive. Please forgive me, but I'm going to step into this role and I need your encouragement. I need your support as I do this. And I know that going into that, because you know that's the obvious next step, that you're a little worried about what her response is going to be. You're a little worried because you've tried this before. You're worried that she's going to reject you. You're worried that she's not going to be on board for it. You're worried that she's going to push back. Well, let me tell you something. Do it anyways. Do it anyways. You lead. And I promise you that as you lead and as you pray for her and as you, as you set the spiritual tone in your household in the direction that you're going to go, as you remain faithful to it, I promise you that she will follow. She will respond to your godly leadership. Guys, look, don't miss out on God's greatest role for you in your life by thinking that being a man is all about having a, 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 a career and excelling in that, by having a nice car or a big fancy home, by having lots of money in the bank and having your kids on the travel soccer team, a, a prominent place in society. Don't exchange your greatest calling in life for something as trivial as stuff. Your greatest calling is to lead your home. And if you have kids, it's to introduce them to knowing who God is because they're the next generation. This is your greatest calling. And you can do it. And let me tell you something. You're going to need your wife's help to do it. And if she's on board, you will become stronger in this role. Now let's get back to our story as we kind of close out our service today. Jezebel's going to get the vineyard for, for Ahab. And the way she's going to do it, she's going to murder Naboth. She's the queen after all. But the way she's going to go about doing this is she's not going to just have him killed. She's going to use Jewish law to do it. See, around this time, if you cursed God or the king then underneath Jewish law, you would be dragged out and killed. There would be no trial. If two people said they heard you curse God and the king, 
took two witnesses. That's all it needed. They would drag you out and they would stone you. And I don't mean recreationally. I mean, they would throw big rocks at your head and kill you. And so Jezebel hires two thugs. She says, wait for a moment when he's in public where there's a crowd and then publicly accuse him. And that's what they did. They accused Naboth of cursing God and the king. And so the crowd dragged him outside the city and they stoned him and he died. And so this is where our story picks up because she has Naboth murdered. But can I ask you this? Who do you think God holds accountable for Naboth's murder? Let's take a look. Verse 15, it says, As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she, had, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive but dead. When Ahab heard that was, or Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Now, Elijah is a prophet, okay? He's a man of God. God spoke to prophets at that time. They also called them seers, and they would come and oftentimes rebuke the leadership and say, listen, you're breaking God's law. And so that's what Elijah, who Elijah is. And God tells Elijah the Tishbite to go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Who had Naboth killed? Jezebel. Who did God hold accountable for it? Ahab. He held Ahab accountable for what happened in his home. Why? Because everything rises and falls on leadership. Do we understand what that means? Everything rises and falls on leadership. As, as the lead in your home, what happens in your home ultimately is your responsibility, men. It is, it is your responsibility. The same on the job. If you're the boss on the job, if your employees mess things up, who does the business ultimately hold responsible? Yes, an employee may get fired, but a boss is going to be in trouble. They are going to, you're going to hold that manager accountable because everything rises and falls on leadership. It is the leader's responsibility what happens there. If it's good, he gets credit. If it's bad, he gets credit. So men, this shows you how important your role is in your home. Because what happens there, God will hold you accountable. He'll hold you accountable for it. So my encouragement for you today is to step into that role and to lead the way God has established for you to lead. And ladies, my encouragement for you is to support your spouse in his leadership. To love him, faults and all, without taking control. And to pray for him. And as he steps into that leadership, to celebrate the ways that he does. Why? Because what's celebrated is repeated. If he knows you're behind him, if he knows you're encouraging him, if he knows that you are supporting him, he will have the courage to step into that role in stronger and greater ways. Ladies, make a weak man stronger. You're his helpmate. That's your, your call. 
Now, as I close out today's message, I, I just want to take an opportunity to publicly thank my wife. She has been such an incredible support to me. I've, done, I've been able to do more because of her. I've been able to stay in and hang in there as a pastor because of her words of encouragement, because of her support, because of her prayer, because she's seen me on the ground sullen and crying. And she didn't push me out of the way and take control. She said, get up, man of God. Get up. Rise. And I am just so thankful that she has partnered with me because I've been able to do more than I ever could have done alone. And I pray. My, my prayer for you today, as a married couple or as individuals who want to be married, that someday your marriage is that way. My marriage is not perfect. My prayer for you, men, is that as you step into this role, you'll find God's blessing. And ladies, as you step into your role, understanding that he needs your encouragement, you will find God's blessing and that together you will do more than you ever thought you could. Those mountains that have been impossible for you to conquer in your life, whether they're financial, relational, spiritual, that you will conquer them together. That's my prayer for you today. In fact, let's pray now. Lord, God, I lift up all the marriages in this room. I pray, God, that as they align with how you have created them to be, a man to lead with love, submitting himself to his wife, laying down his life and serving her, setting the, the tone in their home. Lord, I, I pray that as he leads and as he influences, Lord, that you would bless them. As she encourages and prays for and supports, you would bless them. And all that they do, let them conquer things they've never been able to conquer alone. Lord, today I pray for the the women here, here today that, that would identify and say, yeah, I'm controlling. Lord, that there's, there is something that needs to begin today, and that's what we call repentance. It's a turning away from our ways and turning towards yours. Lord, I pray that as they do, I know that the next step is not only asking you for forgiveness, but also asking their spouse for forgiveness. I pray that as they have that conversation, Lord, that there would be restoration in that home. I pray that she would find words to build him up instead of tearing him down and to support him as he leads. Lord, I pray for the men who are going to step into those roles and lead. I pray, God, that they would do so with courage, that though they may have tried before and failed, that they can do this. You have equipped them, wired them to do this, to be a protector, to be a provider, and to be the pastor in their home to set the tone and direction in these ways. Lord, I pray that as they step out to do this, Lord, that as they receive the encouragement they need, as they receive the support that they need, Lord, that they would grow in this. Lord, and I'm, I know that there's, there's an obvious conversation for the men that have been passive, that they'll need to come in humility and repentance and ask for forgiveness for disengaging for not leading in the ways that they should have. Lord, I pray that your grace and your mercy would abound in our marriages today. 
that as we come and have honest conversations with each other, that your blessing would rain down upon that, that you, that you God, would make it so apparent that this is the way you intended it to be. Bless our marriages. Now, Lord, I'm, as we continue to pray and everybody here, everybody's eyes closed and their head bowed, there are those of you in this room today that you're not in a relationship with God. And that's the primary relationship that has to be right before all your other relationships are right. Whether that's a marriage relationship, a friend relationship, as a parent, or even as a child or a teenager, if that's who you are here today. That relationship must be right. And there's the, the, these, the two reasons people don't get it right, they don't enter, enter, into, enter into a relationship with God, are presented here today. It's because we don't want to surrender control. We, we're worried. What happens if I give control to God? I'm afraid to surrender. Because to do that, see, to enter into a relationship with God, we, we do that through his son, Jesus. By declaring and saying, Jesus, be Lord of my life, that means he's in charge. He's in charge of everything. And his ways have to become your ways. And you make a commitment to live that life, and you're like, man, I'm scared to do it. I don't want to give up control. The other reason we don't engage is, is because we're passive. Maybe we've had a relationship with God, or maybe we even come to church a lot. But we've not engaged in that relationship. We've not found ways to be obedient to what he's asked us to do. He's not really Lord of our lives. Oh, he's a good teacher. He's a good man. But he's not your Lord. Because if he was your Lord, you would obey him. If he was your Lord, he would be in charge. And these are the two reasons we, we don't say yes, but today, maybe God's tugging at your heart that it's time to surrender. Maybe God's tugging at your heart that it's time to take the next step. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but you certainly do. I know that beginning a relationship with God through Christ begins with a prayer. And I'm going to pray that prayer here in a moment. And if you want to engage in that prayer, know that what God is offering you is forgiveness, a new life, one that is full and fulfilled through Christ. He's offering you freedom from your past and eternity in heaven with him. This is the offer that is on the table. And you can accept it today, but you just need to make Jesus Lord of your life. And if you're ready to do that today, I'm in a prayer prayer. And if you want to be counted in on that prayer, would you just let me know right now by slipping your hand up? Nobody's going to make fun of you. In fact, we're going to celebrate with you. Would you just say, yes, that's me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Say, this is me today. This is my prayer. I need Jesus to be Lord. I may not understand how to follow him completely yet, but I'll commit to learning. I, I may not be perfect, Aaron. I may still have some flaws in my life, but I'm going to commit to following after him. One more time, if that's you. Would you just slip your hand up now and say, that's me, Aaron. That's me. I want to pray that prayer. I want to begin that journey today of knowing who God is. We're going to pray that prayer now. And I'm going to ask the whole church to pray with us so that nobody's praying alone. 
out loud, and, and you just need to mean it in your heart, even though you don't know what the words are, I'm going to give them to you. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you came to this earth, you died on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. You did all of this to show that you love me. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. I give you my life. Would you give me yours? Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Be Lord of my life, Jesus. Amen.